In this recording, we're going to discuss the issue of someone who was derech rechoka. They were far from Yerushalayim on Erev Pesach, so they were unable to do their Karban Pesach. And the Torah explicitly says that they are exempt from doing a Karban Pesach on the first Pesach, but they should do one on Pesach Sheni a month later. But we're going to see a very interesting and fundamental debate between the Minchas Chinuch and the Tzlach as to what the parameters of this exemption are. Specifically, let's say someone lives in Yerushalayim but wants to go on vacation for Pesach, or let's say they live far from Yerushalayim, do they have a responsibility to at least try to be in Yerushalayim on Erev Pesach? Or is it totally up to them where they want to be? There's no need for them to even make an attempt to be in Yerushalayim on Erev Pesach. So we'll see that this is a very interesting debate with two different perspectives. The basic halacha is very clear. The Torah explicitly says that one one of the people who's exempt from doing the Karban Pesach and Pesach Rishon is someone who was Bederech Rechoka. They were far from the Beis HaMikdash on Erev Pesach when the Karban Pesach is brought. So they were unable to bring the Karban Pesach. So they're exempt from the first Pesach and they do Pesach Sheni. Now the Gemara in Pesach in Tzadi Gimel defines Derech Rechoka. What does it mean to be far from the Beis HaMikdash on Erev Pesach? So the Gemara defines it as 50 15 mil. Now, a mil is an ancient measurement. It's probably related to a mile, but it's about two thirds of a contemporary mile. So, 15 mil is approximately somewhere around 10 miles or so. So anyone who is 10 miles from the Beis HaMikdash on Erev Pesach would not be obligated to do the Karban Pesach that day. Now, the reason for 15 mil is a debate between Rashi and the Rambam. 15 mil is the approximate measurement of distance that a person can walk in six hours. So according to Rashi in his commentary, the reason that 15 mil is considered Derech Rechoka, a far distance, is because because the carbon Pesach started being brought at six hours into the day on Erev Pesach. So the general order in the Beis HaMikdash was that there were two daily sacrifices in the morning and in the afternoon. And the equivalent that we do nowadays is Shachris and Mincha. And the general rule every day of the year was that those two Tamid sacrifices had to bookend all of the sacrifices in the Beis HaMikdash. So the first sacrifice had to be the morning Tamid. No sacrifice could be brought before that. And the last sacrifice of the day had to be the afternoon tamid. No sacrifice could be brought after that. So in general, they would push off the tamid as late as they could in the course of the day. And they would bring it at what we call mincha ketana, which is nine and a half hours into the day. So that would give them more time in the afternoon to bring other sacrifices. And then they would complete the sacrifices of the day with the tamid of the afternoon. Now, technically, the tummit of the afternoon could be brought as early as six and a half hours into the day, which is what we call mincha gedola. So that's the debate about whether it's better to daven mincha early at six and a half hours or later at nine and a half hours, meaning should we model our davening mincha after when they generally brought the afternoon tummit in the Beis HaMikdash or after when it was permitted to begin bringing the tummit. Now, the exception to this whole rule was Erev Pesach because the Karban Pesach had to be brought 
after the tamid of the afternoon. So unlike a regular day where they would try to push off the afternoon tamid as much as possible in order to get the other sacrifices in, on Erev Pesach, they would bring the tamid of the afternoon as soon as possible at six and a half hours. And then right away, they could begin bringing the Karban Pesach, which was the exception that it had to be brought after the afternoon tamid sacrifice. So that was the basic timeline of the Erev Pesach sacrificial service. Now Rashi explains that even though they would begin at six and a half hours, they actually technically could begin at six hours. But in order to make sure that it was the afternoon, they would wait an extra half hour. But technically they were able to begin this whole process at six hours. That means there were six hours in the day from the sixth hour until sunset when they were able to bring the carbon Pesach. So according to Rashi, that's why anyone who was far from the Beis HaMikdash at noon, at the sixth hour, would not be able to make it more than 15 mil to the Beis HaMikdash before sunset. So that's where we got the measurement of 15 mil being the maximum measurement of distance from which someone would have to run to the Beis HaMikdash beginning at noon and they could still get there in time to bring the Karban Pesach. Any further than that and the person would not be able to make it in time. So that's who's exempt from bringing the Karban Pesach on Erev Pesach. That's Rashi's explanation of the 15 mil. The Rambam, on the other hand, believes that the key six hours we're discussing are the morning hours from sunrise until the sixth hour of the day. So that's what we're measuring, that anyone who at sunrise would not be able to make it to the Beis HaMikdash for the beginning of the Karban Pesach time period, which was at six hours, so that person was exempt from the Karban Pesach. So the six hours, according to the Rambam, that are necessary for travel time are the first six hours of the day from sunrise until the sixth hour when the Karban Pesach would begin being brought. Now, this debate between Rashi and the Rambam is going to have a very important practical distinction because according to the Rambam, someone who is more than 15 mil from Yerushalayim at sunrise on Erev Pesach does not bring a Karban Pesach that year. Even though they could get to Yerushalayim by noon or shortly thereafter, they still do not bring a Karban Pesach because when the day started, they were more than 15 mil, so they were considered derech as opposed to Rashi, that the exemption only applies to someone who was more than 15 mil at noon of Erev Pesach. So according to Rashi, really, someone could be 30 mil in the morning at sunrise of Erev Pesach, and they would still get to Yerushalayim if they walked at a steady pace, because by noon they would have covered 15 mil, and then at sunset they would have covered another 15 mil, so they would be obligated in the Karban Pesach. So the moment that that defines whether this person is considered derech rechoka, meaning the moment that they're more than 15 mil is a debate between Rashi and the Rambam. According to Rashi, it's noon of Erev Pesach. According to the Rambam, it's sunrise of Erev Pesach. Now the Minchas Chinoch and Mitzvah Shin Pei questions the Rambam
Rambam, and he quotes that the Birkas HaZevach asked that he didn't find anyone else that interprets this the way the Rambam does. But there's a further difficulty with the Rambam, because the Gemara in Psachim Tzadidaladam and Aleph says that even if someone could get a horse and get to Yerushalayim much more quickly than just walking, they're still not obligated to do so. They're still considered Derech Rechoka. So what that means, according to Rashi, is let's say at noon, someone is 16 mil away from the Beis HaMikdash, but they could get on a horse and easily get there before sunset. That person is still not obligated to bring the Karban Pesach because we evaluate the measurement based on how fast someone can walk, not how fast they can ride a horse to get to the Beis HaMikdash. Now, according to the Rambam, this leniency is even more drastic because if someone at sunrise was 16 mil away from Yerushalayim. So they could easily get to the Beis HaMikdash. There's no question. A horse would get them there in an hour or two. They'd be there within plenty of time to bring the Karban Pesach. That person is still not obligated to bring a Karban Pesach that year because when the day started, they were Bederech Rechoka. So this seems very extreme that according to the Rambam, someone who could easily be at the Beis HaMikdash in time to bring the Karban Pesach is not obligated to do so under the exemption of being a far distance. Now, even according to Rashi, you could ask the same question. Let's say at noon, someone jumped on a horse and then they arrived in Yerushalayim an hour or two later. So they also have plenty of time to bring the Karban Pesach. But according to the Minchas Chinuch, they're not obligated to bring the Karban Pesach that day because they're still included in the exemption of Derech Rechoka, even though they're now standing in the Beis HaMikdash. So you could ask the same question about Rashi, but ordinarily Rashi's view makes sense because someone who's far from the Beis HaMikdash at noon cannot walk there in time to do the Karban Pesach. But the Rambam is a double question. Not only could the person at sunrise make it to the Beis HaMikdash in time to do the Karban Pesach, they might not be there the first minute, but they'll be there with plenty of time to do the Karban Pesach and they're still exempt. But even if they jump on a horse in the morning and they get there with a whole day ahead of them, according to the Rambam, the way the Minchas Chinuch interprets it, they're still totally exempt from the Karban Pesach because of Derech Rechoka. So there's a lot of questions on the view of the Rambam, but this is the basic exemption of Derech Rechoka. Now, there's another issue that the Minchas Chinuch raises in Mitzvah Hey Osiud Gimel about this whole concept. And that is, does a person have any responsibility to try to be at the Beis HaMikdash on Erev Pesach? Or do they have no obligation to put in any forethought or preparation to try to be at the Beis HaMikdash on Erev Pesach? And this would obviously come up all the time. Anyone that lived more than 10 miles from Yerushalayim, so unless they they put in some preparation before Erev Pesach to try to get closer to Yerushalayim if they just sit in their house by the time Erev Pesach comes either at sunrise or at noon depending on Rashi or the Rambam they're going to automatically be exempt from bringing the Karban Pesach. So this discussion begins with a very interesting but very problematic line in Tosos and Pesachim Daf Gimel Amad Beis. The Gemara there tells a story and the premise of it is that there was a non-Jew who was pretending to be a Jew and he was going up to Yerushalayim for Pesach in order to do the Karban Pesach. And he had a conversation with Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra. Now Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra was not going up to Yerushalayim to do the Karban Pesach. He was staying in 
in his hometown of Nitzivin over the holiday of Pesach. So that's the setup of this story, and then they have a conversation. So Tosvos asks, why was Rabbi Yehuda ben Beseira not going up to Yerushalayim in order to do the Karban Pesach? He has two mitzvahs that he needed to fulfill. One is Aliyah Laregel. A Jew has to go to Yerushalayim for the three major regalim. And the second is the Karban Pesach. So why on earth is Rabbi Yehuda ben Beseira staying home and not going to do these mitzvahs in Yerushalayim? So Toso suggests three answers. Either Rabbi Yehuda ben Beseira was too old or sickly and he couldn't travel to Yerushalayim. So he was exempt because he was an ones. He could not make the trip to Yerushalayim. Alternatively, Tosfo says that maybe Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra was not a landowner. So someone who does not own land is not obligated to do the mitzvah of Aliyah Laregel. It's only landowners. So that's why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra did not go up to Yerushalayim. And thirdly, Tosfo suggests maybe Nitzivin is in Chutz Aretz. It wasn't even in Eretz Yisrael to begin with. So that's why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra did not have to go up to Yerushalayim for Pesach because he was a resident of Chutzla Aretz. So basically, Tosvos has three solutions to his question why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra did not go up to Yerushalayim for Pesach, either because he had no land, he was too old or sickly to travel, or he lived in Chutzla Aretz. Now, the Mishnah Lamelech at the beginning of Hilchus Karban Pesach, Parak Aleph, Halacha Aleph, so he questions very strongly this whole Tosvos because he points out that the whole exemption of someone who doesn't own land not needing to go up to the Beis HaMikdash for the holiday only applies to the mitzvah of Aliyah Laregel, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the Karban Pesach. So even if Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra, who didn't own land, was not obligated in the mitzvah of Aliyah Laregel, but he should certainly have had to go up to Yerushalayim in order to do the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. And the Mishnah Lamelech points out that we have many instances where someone is exempt from Aliyah Laregel, but they're still obligated in Karban Pesach, like women, even children. There are all sorts of cases of disabilities where the person is not obligated in Aliyah Laregel, but we never find that they're exempt from the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. So it seems unlikely that just because someone is exempt from Aliyah Laregel, they're automatically exempt from the Karban Pesach. And the same should be true of someone who doesn't own land in Eretz Yisrael, that even though they are exempt from Aliyah Laregel, but they should still be obligated in Karban Pesach. So basically, Tosos' answer does not answer his question because Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra may have been exempt from Aliyah Laregel, but the question lingers, why didn't he go up to Yerushalayim in order to do the Karban Pesach? And the Mishnah Lamelech continues, he says the final answer of Tosvos that he lived in Chutz Aretz, so we never find that someone who lives in Chutz Aretz is exempt from Aliyah Laregel or Karban Pesach. So where on earth did Tosvos come to this idea that any resident of Chutzla Aretz is not obligated in these two major mitzvahs of Aliyah Laregel and Karban Pesach. That's the Mishnah Lamelech's double question on this Tosvos. The only solution that does seem to answer the whole question fully is that he was too old or sick to travel, in which case he was an ones, he could not get there, and he was unable to fulfill either of these mitzvahs. But the other two solutions of Tosvos seem very problematic. So the note of Yehuda and his comment commentary on Psachim, the Tzlach, 
So he suggests a solution to the Mishnah Lamelech's questions, a way to understand Tosfos. And he says that Tosfos never asked, why did Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra not bring the Karban Pesach? The only question to begin with was, why didn't he do Aliyah Laregel? So that's why it makes sense that Tosfos says he's not a landowner, even though that only exempts him from Aliyah Laregel, but that was the only question Tosfos is dealing with to begin with. He's not dealing at all with the issue of why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra didn't bring the Karban Pesach. Now, why in fact did Tosfos not ask why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra didn't bring a Karban Pesach? So the Tzlach explains because that's an obvious answer. Since Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra lived more than 15 mil from Yerushalayim, so he had no obligation to make it to Yerushalayim in order to bring the Karban Pesach. So of course he wasn't going to bring a Karban Pesach. He was considered Derech Rechoka. The only question Tosos could ask is what about Aliyah Laregel where there is no exemption of Derech Rechoka. But Tosos would not ask from the mitzvah of Karban Pesach because that's an obvious answer why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra was exempt because he was Derech Rechoka, because he lived more than 15 mil from Yerushalayim. So that's the way that Slach interprets this Tosfos and that's why the Mishnah Lamelech's questions that we don't find the leniency for someone who doesn't own land for Karban Pesach is not a problem because Tosfos is not dealing with the mitzvah of Karban Pesach at all. So the Minchas Chinuch points out that what the Tzlach is saying is really very radical because he's basically saying that a person has no obligation whatsoever to even attempt to be close to Yerushalayim on Erev Pesach in order to bring the Karban Pesach. So Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra, who lived far from Yerushalayim, made no effort to even get there in order to do the Karban Pesach. And the Minchas Chinuch questions this from a number of perspectives. First of all, he says, we are obligated to do every mitzvah and to put effort into doing the mitzvah. So a person can't just say, oh, I wasn't able to build a sukkah, I wasn't able to buy a lulav, I wasn't able to find a shofar, so I should be exempt from all these mitzvahs. A person has to hustle and to try to make sure they have what they need in order to do a mitzvah. So people go all over trying to find a lulav and an esrog. They don't just wait until sukkah starts and say, oh, I don't have a lulav and an esrog, so I can't do the mitzvah. So the same is true of Karban Pesach. A person has to make an effort to be in Yerushalayim in order to do the mitzvah. Now, if for some reason they find themselves more than 15 mil and they're unable to do the mitzvah, so then the Torah has an exemption. But for a person to make no effort to be present in Yerushalayim in order to do the mitzvah goes against the whole way we treat mitzvahs where we're obligated to make an attempt at least to be able to do the mitzvah. In addition, says the Menchas Chinuch, if we take the Tzlach's approach to its logical conclusion, then it's going to turn out that most Jews never have to do a Karban Pesach at all. Because any Jew that lives more than 15 mil from Yerushalayim does not have to do the Karban Pesach. And the rule is that if a majority of the Jews don't do Pesach Rishon, then they also don't have to do Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni is for individuals, a minority of the Jewish people. But once it's a majority of the Jews, then they would not be obligated to do Pesach Sheni. So since a majority of the Jews live more than 15 mil from Yerushalayim, they're not going to be obligated in Pesach Rishon or Pesach Sheni. So most Jews are never going to end up doing a Karban Pesach according to the Tzlach.
Now, the Minchas Chinuch does quote that there's a Gemara that seems to support the approach of the Tzlach. In Psachim Ayin Amud the Gemara tells a story about Yehuda and his son Dorsai, that they had a disagreement with the rabbis about whether a specific carbon could be brought on Shabbos. So in order to avoid the whole issue, they moved to the south, and Rashi comments that therefore they wouldn't be obligated in Aliyah Leregel or the carbon Pesach. So the obvious question is, how do they get out of all these mitzvahs by moving to the south? So the Menchas Chinuch suggests that maybe it means they moved outside of Israel to and this would support the reading of the Tzlach in Tosvos that someone who lives in Chutz La'aretz is not obligated to make any effort to get to Yerushalayim to do the Karban Pesach and they're not obligated in Aliyah L'Regel. So this would be a source that indicates that residents of Chutz La'aretz are not obligated in the mitzvah of Aliyah L'Regel. But again, the Menchas Chinuch questions, how could this be? First of all, why would he not be obligated to try to at least get to Yerushalayim in order to do the Karban Pesach, even if he lives in Chutz La'aretz, but at least make an effort to get to Yerushalayim. And second, we don't have any other source that indicates that someone who lives in Chutz La'aretz is totally exempt from the two mitzvahs of Aliyah L'Regel and Karban Pesach. So the Minchas Chinuch is bothered by this whole approach, and he doesn't have a way to understand the Tzlach. So there's a very interesting and very lengthy discussion from Rav Yoshua Ehrenberg in the Chuvis Dvar Yoshua, Chelek Aleph. This goes on from Simon Aleph till Simon Zion. And it's a very long discussion where he raises this whole issue. And it turns out that the Minchas Chinuch's assumptions are not so clear. So even though it seems to make a lot of sense that a person is obligated to prepare in order to be able to do a mitzvah, even though the time of that mitzvah has not come yet. So a person has to prepare their lulav and esrog before sukkah starts. A person has to prepare their shofar before Rosh Hashanah starts. But as logical as that seems, the Dvar Yehoshua finds a number of sources that do seem to indicate otherwise, like the Tzlach's assumption that a person is not obligated to prepare a mitzvah before the time comes. And if when the time of the mitzvah comes, that means that they're unable to do the mitzvah because they didn't prepare, then so be it. So the Dvar Yoshua has a very fascinating discussion and we're going to go through some of his main points. Now the case that he's dealing with is something that probably came up in Europe. There's a city where there is no Lulav and Esrog, but nearby there's a different city that does have a Lulav and Esrog. So is a person obligated to leave their home for Sukkis and to go be a traveler and a guest in this other city in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog? Or do they not have to plan ahead? And even though that means that when the sun sets and it becomes Sukkis, they're going to be home and unable to fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog, it's still permitted to stay home in such a case. So interestingly, he quotes that the Chaye Adam already raises this issue in Klal Samach Ches, Sifka and Yutes. And in the Nishmas Adam, he explains the two options in greater detail. On the one hand, says the Chaye Adam, for people to leave their homes and go to another city for Yantif means that they won't be able to do the mitzvah of Simchas Yom Tov. So we have a clash between doing Lulav and Esrog versus the mitzvah of enjoying Yantif. If they stay home, they'll have more Simchas Yom Tov. And if they go to the other city, then they'll be able to do Lulav and Esrog. So that's the first clash that needs to be dealt with. In addition now, the Chayyadam raises this very issue that the Mincha 
Chaschinoch and the Tzlach are debating, and he wonders whether there's an obligation to prepare to do a mitzvah before the time of that mitzvah has come. So on the one hand, we could say that the people have no obligation to travel to the other city before Sukkot because there's no mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog yet. And by the time Sukkot comes, they won't be able to travel. Or on the other hand, we could say that there is an obligation to prepare for the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog even before the time of the mitzvah has come as the Menchas Chinuch argues so eloquently. So the Chaye Adam brings two different proofs, one for either side of this question. On the one hand, the Gemara in Rashana Lamedalid deals with a case where someone has a choice to be in two different cities for Rosh Hashanah. In one of them, they know how to blow shofar, but they don't know how to do the davening. In the other city, they know how to do the davening, but they don't know how to blow shofar. So basically, this person has to choose between davening versus shofar. Says the Chayyadam, if there's an obligation to travel to a city in order to do a mitzvah, so how could there ever be a city where they know how to do the davening, but they don't know how to blow the shofar? The people in that city would be obligated to leave their city and travel to a city with a shofar. So that seems to indicate that there is no obligation to prepare to do the mitzvah before the holiday begins. On the other hand, says the Chayyadam, the Rambam rules that a person has to go visit their Rebbe on Yantif. There's a whole question why we don't do this nowadays. But back in the day, there was an obligation to go visit one's Rebbe over Yantif. So that seems to indicate that even though the person is going to have to travel before Yantif, they're obligated to prepare before the time of the mitzvah in order to be able to fulfill the mitzvah over Yantif. In addition, that also shows that even though the person is not going to have Simchas Yom Tov because they're going to be traveling and in a foreign city, they're still obligated to do so in order to do the mitzvah of visiting their Rebbe. So this source seems to indicate that a person is obligated to put in forethought and try to be prepared to do the mitzvah even before the time of the mitzvah arrives. Now, in Simon Bey's Os Bey's, so the Dvar Yoshua points out that this question of the Chayyadam is the debate between the Tzlach and the Minchas Chinuch. According to the Tzlach, one is not obligated to prepare to do a mitzvah before the time of the mitzvah arrives, whereas according to the Minchas Chinuch, one is obligated to prepare. Now, the Dvar Yoshua finds a number of sources that reinforce the view of the Tzlach. So, first of all, he quotes that the Pnei Yoshua in Sukkah Davchaf Hey seems to adopt the Tzlach's approach, that a person who's far from Yerushalayim does not need to make any effort to get there in order to do the Karban Pesach, as well as Rashi in Pesachim Samech So he makes the comment that someone who's Derech Rechoka cannot fix their situation because they're more than a six-hour travel time from the Beis HaMikdash. And Rashi says, before the six hours of bringing the Karban Pesach began, Lo Ram Yuva Alav. So Rashi seems to say very clearly that before the time of the Karban Pesach began, they could have traveled, but they had no obligation to travel. And once the time of the Karban Pesach begins, they're too far to make it to the Beis HaMikdash within the time span. So this seems also to support the Tzlach, that there is no obligation to put in any preparation before the arrival of the mitzvah time. Now the Minchas Chinuch is aware of this Rashi, and he says that Rashi only means that there's no punishment of Kares before 
before the six-hour window of bringing the Karban Pesach. But there's certainly a mitzvah to try to be prepared to bring the Karban Pesach at the proper time. So according to the Minchas Chinuch, Rashi only means that there's no punishment of kares, but there's still a mitzvah to try to be prepared to bring the Karban Pesach. Whereas according to the Tzlach, the way the Dvar Yoshua is reading Rashi, he means to say that there's absolutely no obligation to prepare in order to be able to bring the Karban Pesach at the right time. So basically the way the Dvar Yoshua understands this, and this is somewhat surprising, there are two different approaches. One is that a person has to prepare to do a mitzvah. The other is that there is no obligation to do a mitzvah until its time begins. And if waiting until that point will mean that the person cannot do the mitzvah, they still don't have an obligation to try and prepare ahead of time in order to be able to fulfill the mitzvah. So that's the debate between the Minchas Chinuch and the Tzlach. Now, the Minchas Chinuch had asked a very powerful question on the Tzlach, that according to his approach, a majority of the Jews would never have to do the Karban Pesach, because they're not obligated in Pesach Rishon, and once there's a majority, then they would also be exempt from Pesach Sheni. So the Dvar Yoshua first makes the point that the Minchas Chinuch himself in Mitzvah Shin Pei contradicts himself, because there he writes that if a majority of the Jews were far from the Beis HaMikdash on Pesach Rishon, they would be obligated in Pesach Sheni. Meaning the principle that a majority of the Jewish people cannot be obligated in Pesach Sheni only means when a majority of the Jews were available on Pesach Rishon, they were standing near the Beis HaMikdash, and they were still unable to bring the Karban Pesach. So in that case, they do not do Pesach Sheni either. But in this case, where a majority of the Jews were nowhere near the Beis HaMikdash on Pesach Rishon, so they weren't obligated to begin with, so then they would have to do Pesach Sheni. He compares it to the example where there was a huge influx of conversion between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni, such that a majority of the Jews are new converts. So of course those people would be obligated even though they now constitute a majority of the Jewish people because they were never obligated in Pesach Rishon to begin with. So the same would be true in this case if a majority of the Jews were far from the Beis HaMikdash on Pesach Rishon, they would still be obligated on Pesach Sheni. So that would, of course, answer the question on the Tzlach. But then the Dvar Yoshua adds that there's another point here, which is, according to the Tzlach, let's say, as the Minchas Chinuch says in Mitzvah Hay, that if a majority was far from Yerushalayim, on Pesach Rishon, they would not have to do Pesach Sheni. That doesn't mean they're exempt. It means that they're unable to correct what they missed at Pesach Rishon. That's a different formulation. It's not that they're exempt from the mitzvah and there's no problem. It's the other way. They are obligated in this mitzvah and they do need to find a way to do it, but they're unable to do it at Pesach Sheni. So there's no solution for them. So now the Dvar Yoshua suggests that according to the Tzlach, if the result of people not preparing to do the mitzvah is going to be that they mess up the mitzvah completely and they're totally unable to do the mitzvah, so then even the tzlach would agree with the minchas chinuch that in that case they're obligated to prepare in order to do the mitzvah. So according to the tzlach, if a few individuals are going to miss the Pesach Rishon because they're far away, that would be okay because they can make it up at Pesach Sheni. But if a majority of the Jews are going to miss Pesach 
Pesach Rishon, then they would have to make it their business to get to Yerushalayim because in that case, they won't be able to make it up at Pesach Sheni. So now this leads the Dvar Yoshua to his next formulation. And he says that maybe the whole approach of the Tzlach that a person is not obligated to prepare to do a mitzvah is limited only to the mitzvah of Karban Pesach because they can make it up at Pesach Sheni. So such a mitzvah that can be made up later, there a person doesn't need to prepare beforehand. But a mitzvah like Lulav and Esrog, where they cannot make it up once they miss it, so that type of mitzvah, even the tzlach would agree that a person needs to prepare beforehand in order to be able to do the mitzvah on Yantif. So according to this, the tzlach does not have any fundamental dispute with the Minchas Chinuch. He agrees with him. It's only with regards to the mitzvah of Karban Pesach where it can be made up at Pesach Sheni that the tzlach is more lenient about preparing beforehand. But the Dvar Yoshua backs off from this formulation. But in Simon Gimel, he suggests another distinction between Lulav and Esrog and Shofar versus the Karban Pesach, which is very logical and it answers the Minchas Chinuch's question on the tzlach. The tzlach said that you don't need to prepare to do the mitzvah of Karban Pesach and the Minchas Chinuch asks, what about all these other mitzvahs that of course a person has to prepare before Yantif in order to do. So the Dvar Yoshua suggests that there's a basic difference between these mitzvahs. When the Torah commands someone to take a lulav and an esrog and blow shofar, so it's clear that it's not just going to fall into their lap. Someone's not going to come and hand them these items. Obviously they need to prepare the items that they need. Now on Yantif they cannot prepare these items because they can't cut the horn on Yantif and they can't pick the lulav and estrog on yantif. So obviously included in the Torah's commandment of lulav and estrog and shofar is to prepare it before yantif. As opposed to the mitzvah of bringing a karban pesach, which is different because the Torah is not explicitly saying that a person needs to prepare to do this mitzvah by traveling to Yerushalayim. Because there's some people that already live in Yerushalayim. So they just walk down the block and they could bring their karban pesach. So there's a basic difference between these mitzvahs in that lulav and esrog, part of the Torah's commandment to shake the lulav and esrog is to prepare it beforehand. As opposed to Karban Pesach, where there is no implication in the Torah's mitzvah that a person has to prepare. So there the tzlach says that there's no obligation to prepare beforehand to travel to Yerushalayim. So this is a very logical distinction. And according to the Dvar Yoshua's formulation, each mitzvah would have to be evaluated on its own. If part of the formulation of the Torah's commandment is to prepare beforehand, then a person has to prepare beforehand. But if the Torah said it in such a way that it could be done even without prior preparation, then the preparation beforehand would not be part of the mitzvah. Now, the Dvar Yoshua continues at great length to discuss a lot of the points that we've discussed, including how to explain the Tosvos about why Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra didn't go to Yerushalayim, as well as the Rambam, who counts the six hours beginning at sunrise, as well as the Chaye Adam's proof that a person has to go visit their Rebbe even before Yantif. So he has a lot to say about all this, but we're going to leave it here. Basically, the Dvar Yoshua's conclusion is along the lines of the Tzlach, that a mitzvah which can be done without preparation, there is no obligation to prepare beforehand. Whereas a mitzvah where included in the Torah's command is that they have to prepare beforehand in order to be able to fulfill it, like Lulav and Esrog, so that would require preparation. 
Kedushin. So in the case of someone who lives far from Yerushalayim, they would not be required to travel to Yerushalayim in order to do the Karban Pesach. As opposed to someone who lives in a city where there's no Lulav and Esrog, they would be required to travel to another city in order to be able to fulfill that mitzvah.